0: Hello, sweet one. If you are like me, you love watching romantic movies. I loved it when Humphrey Bogart said farewell to Lauren Bacall in Casablanca. And it does make my top five list. Also in the top five is Titanic. Titanic. Who can forget the story of Rose and Jack, played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, from their first encounter to when they reunite in eternal life together? This movie is unforgettable. And then there is It Happened One Night with Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. I love this romantic movie. I love the fact that a spoiled heiress falls in love with a scheming newspaper man, proving that opposites can attract, and when they do, they become better people for it. The Notebook with Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams has some of the most romantic lines and flow of any movie I have ever watched. And then, in fifth place, I have so many films, including The Long Hot Summer, A Star is Born, and so many others that are stacked together with such icon actors as Elizabeth Taylor, Clark Gable, and Cary Grant. I wonder, what are your favorites? And why? Why do you rank them as such? On the surface... We all love romantic films because they play out how we would love our own lives to be, with the expected happy ending and the memorable romantic lines and scenes that will be carried in our hearts always. But there is a deeper reason we love romantic films, so deep that they can be found in the chemical messengers that are secreted directly into the blood from our brain. This reason is because watching romantic movies releases a love hormone. Yes, that's right. We do have a love hormone, and it's called oxytocin. Oxytoxin is produced in the hypothalamus, and this hormone is triggered in the brain whenever a person is engaged in relationship building or empathy toward another or some type of physical or sexual activity from hugging to orgasm. And it is found that when one is emerged in a romantic movie, this hormone can increase, thereby decreasing a person's anxiety or phobias, their anger, their depression, and even institutional problems such as IBS. And just as importantly, oxytocin has been proven to increase one's self-perception and their ability to be more open and warm and trusting of others. So, with all that positive, why would I say, don't go all Hollywood on romance? Well, for one simple reason and one alone, and that is that romance cannot be planned. It must be spontaneous and unique. Elizabeth Taylor once said, Follow your passion, follow your heart, and things you need will come. Notice that in that simple quote, she repeatedly uses the words you or your, and that is because romance is your journey and yours alone. It cannot be duplicated, it cannot be planned, nor Should it? As you may remember me mentioning before, a big part of my career has been in the broadcasting field, on camera as well as behind the scenes, as a producer and a director. The long, romantic stares or the memorable kisses, such as the one in the pouring rain in Breakfast at Tiffany's, does not come effortlessly nor are they romantic for the two engaged in the act. It comes from several takes where everything is planned out to the T and cameras positioned in different angles to catch the one perfect pose in the one perfect light with those off-screen shouting out commands such as lean in more, tilt your chin down, And move your hand 90 degrees and 4 inches up. And with that said, I ask, do any of those words sound romantic to you? Of course not. Part of the thrill of romance is the newness of it. The unexpectedness that flows naturally no matter how long two people have been in love. Flowers or a card sent for no reason at all, warmed the heart more than a penciled in appointment to buy a gift due to an anniversary. A romantic candlelit dinner on an expected normal workday thrills the heart more than a planned Friday night date. The focus of a lasting and exciting romantic engagement should be on your soul's connection and not On a daily planner. A lingering glance. The touch of a hand. A quick smile. Do not put pressure on yourself that you have to live up to these memorable romantic scenes from the silver screen. Do not think that you have to play by the movie's playbook of making some grand gesture in some perfect, laid-out plan. Pressure is counter to romance. Planning to extremes is counter to romance. Have the confidence to know that you are all the other needs that your souls have connected and that you are both willing and wanting of exploring a romantic journey. ...that is uniquely yours. Beautifully full applause and wonderment. And with that said, it is time for our story on love. A continuation from Leo Tolstoy's book. I do hope that you enjoy it. Simon's wife had everything ready early that day. She had cut the wood brought water, fed the children, eaten her own meal, and now she sat thinking. She wondered when they ought to make bread, now or tomorrow. There was still a large piece left. If Simon has had some dinner in town, she thought, and does not eat much for supper, the bread will last out another day. She weighed the piece of bread in her hand again and again and thought, I won't make any more today. We have only enough flour left to bake one batch. We can manage to make this last out until Friday. So Matronia put away the bread and sat down at the table to patch her husband's shirt. And while she worked, she thought how her husband was buying skins for a winter coat. If only the dealer does not cheat him. My good man is much too simple. He cheats nobody but any child can take him in. Eight rubles is a lot of money. He should get a good coat at that price. Not tan skins, but still a proper winter coat. How difficult it was last winter to get on without a warm coat. I could neither get down to the river nor go out anywhere. When he went out, he put all he had, and there was nothing left for me. He did not start very early today, but still it's time he was back. I only hope he is not gone on a spree. Hardly had Matrona thought this when the steps were heard on the threshold and someone entered. Matrona stuck her needle into her work and went out into the passage. There she saw two men, Simon, and with him a man without a hat and wearing felt boots. Matrona noticed at once that her husband smelt of spirits. There now he has been drinking, she thought, and when she saw that he was coatless and had only her jacket on, brought no parcel and stood there silent and seemed ashamed, her heart was ready to break with disappointment. He has drunk the money, she thought, and has been on the spree with some good-for-nothing fellow whom he has brought home with him. Matronia let them pass into the hut and followed them in, and saw that the stranger was a young, slight man wearing her husband's coat. There was no shirt to be seen under it, and he had no hat. Having entered, he stood neither moving nor raising his eyes, and Metronia thought, He must be a bad man. He's afraid. Matronia frowned and stood beside the oven, looking to see what they would do. Simon took off his cap and sat down on the bench, as if things were all right. Come, Matronya. if supper is ready, let us have some. Metronia muttered something to herself and did not move, but stayed where she was by the oven. She looked first at the one and then at the other of them and only shook her head. Simon saw that his wife was annoyed, but tried to pass it off. Pretending not to notice anything, he took the stranger by the arm. Sit down, my friend, he said, and let us have some supper. The stranger sat down on the bench. Haven't you cooked anything for us, asked Simon. Petronia's anger boiled over. I've cooked. But not for you. It seems to me that you have drunk your wits away. You went to buy a sheepskin coat, but come home without so much as a coat that you have on, and you bring a naked vagabond home with you. I have no supper for drunkards like you. That's enough, Metronia. Don't wag your tongue without reason. You had better ask what sort of man. And you'd better tell me what you've done with the money. Simon found the pocket of the jacket and threw out three rouble notes and unfolded it. Here is the money. Tiflnove did not pay, but promises to pay soon. Matronya got still more angry. He had brought no sheepskins but had put his only coat on some naked fellow and had even brought him to their house. She snatched up the note from the table and took it to put it away safely and said, I have no supper for you. We can't feed all the naked drunkards in the world. There now, Matronia, hold your tongue a bit. First hear what a man has to say. Much wisdom I shall hear from a drunkard fool. I was right in not wanting to marry you a drunkard. The linen my mother gave me you drank and now you've been to buy a coat and have drunk it too. Simon tried to explain to his wife that he had only spent 20 copals trying to tell her that he had found the man but Petronia would not let him get a word in. She talked 19 to the dozen and dragged in things that had happened 10 years before. Matronya talked and talked and at last she flew at Simon and seized him by the sleeve. Give me my jacket. It is the only one I have, and you must needs take it from me and wear it yourself. Give it here, you mangy dog, and may the devil take you. Simon began to pull off the jacket and turned his sleeve of it inside out. Metronia seized the jacket, and it burst the seams. She snatched it up, threw it over her head, and went to the door. She meant to go out, but stopped undecided. She wanted to work off her anger, but she also wanted to learn what sort of man the stranger was. Mitranya stopped and said, If he were a good man, he would not be naked. Why, he hasn't even a shirt on him. If he were all right, you would say where you came across the fellow. That's just what I'm trying to tell you, said Simon. As I came to the shrine, I saw him sitting there all naked and frozen. It isn't quite the weather to sit all naked. "'God sent me to him, or he would have perished. "'What was I to do? "'How do we know what may have happened to him? "'So I took him and clothed him and brought him along. "'Don't be angry, Matronia. "'It is a sin. "'Remember, we must all die one day.' "'Angry words rose to Matronia's lips, "'but she looked at the stranger and was silent. "'He sat on the edge of the bench, motionless, "'his hands folded on his knees.' his head drooping on his breast, his eyes closed, and his brow knit as if in pain. Metronia was silent, and Simon said, Metronia, have you no love of God? Matronia heard these words, and as she looked at the stranger, suddenly her heart softened toward him. She came back from the door, and going to the oven, she got out the supper. Setting a cup on the table, she poured out some kavas. Then she brought out the last piece of bread and set out a knife and spoons. Eat if you want to, she said, and Simon drew the stranger to the table. Take your place, young man, he said. Simon cut the bread and crumpled it into the broth, and they began to eat. Matronya sat at the corner of the table, resting her head on her hand and looking at the stranger. And Metronia was touched with pity for the stranger and began to feel fond of him. And at once, the stranger's face lit up. His brows were no longer bent, and he raised his eyes and smiled at Metronia. When they had finished supper, the woman cleared away the things and began questioning the stranger. "'Where are you from?' she asked. "'I am not from these parts. "'But how do you come to be on the road?' I may not tell. Did someone rob you? God punished me. And were you lying there naked? Yes, naked and freezing, Simon. Saw me and he had pity on me, and he took off his coat and put it on me and brought me here. And you have fed me and given me drink and shown pity on me. God would reward you. Metronia rose and took from the window Simon's old shirt that she had been patching and gave it to the stranger. She also brought out a pair of trousers for him. There, she said, I see that you have no shirt. Put this on and lie down where you please, in the loft or on the oven. The stranger took off the coat and put on the shirt and lay down on the loft. Metronia put out the candle and took the coat and climbed to where her husband lay. Matronia drew the skirts of the coat over her and lay down, but could not sleep. She could not get the stranger out of her mind. When she remembered that she had eaten their last piece of bread and that there was none for tomorrow, and thought of the shirt and the trousers she had given away, she felt grieved. But when she remembered how he had smiled, her heart was glad. Long did Matronia lie awake, and she noticed that Simon also was awake. He drew the coat toward him. Simon, well, you have had the last of the bread, and I have not put any to rise. I do not know what we shall do tomorrow. Perhaps I can borrow of neighbor Martha. If we're alive, we shall find something to eat. The woman lay still a while, and then said... He seems a good man, but why does he not tell us who he is? I suppose he has his reasons. Simon? Well, we give, but why does nobody give us anything? Simon did not know what to say, so he only said. Let us stop talking and turned over and went to sleep. And that is where we will end for today. I will continue reading the story later. I do apologize. I thought I would be done with it by today. But I should have realized the man that wrote War and Peace would never have short chapters. And so, my sweet one, I wonder who this stranger is. I have some ideas. I feel in my heart that he was sent to show that no matter how little that you have, you always have something you can give to another less fortunate And perhaps he is an angel who will bless them and reward them for their kindness. I can't wait to find out how the story ends. I do feel it's going to be a happy ending. And until next time, good night, sweet one. Sleep well.